Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Damien Barr, welcoming you to another Salon Exclusive, where you get to be the first to hear about the books coming out that we are most excited about. In today's episode, we're going to be treated to a reading by Ruth Gilligan, the youngest person ever to top the Irish bestsellers list. Her new book, The Butchers, is a sublime, moving, genre-defying number that was shortlisted for the 2021 Royal Society of Literature Ondaatje Prize. And if you don't know that prize, check it out. It's the one that's for place in book. Um, So it really does take you everywhere. Sarah Moss, the author of Summer Water and one of our most beloved authors at the Salon, despite not yet being a guest, describes this book as haunting and compelling. The relationships between daughter, mother and landscape move in strange harmony with a story about Irish modernity and masculinity. So if Sarah Moss likes it, basically, it's brilliant. The book is set in the summer of 1996 during the outbreak of mad cow disease in England. This brings a boom for Irish cattle farmers who experience a windfall in demand for their beef. But this sudden boom puts into stark contrast the get-rich-quick motivations of the Celtic tiger with the old customs observed by the butchers. Here's Ruth with more on that. Hi there, my name is Ruth Gilligan and I am absolutely delighted to be reading from my novel, The Butchers, exclusively for the Damien Barr Literary Salon. I still remember when I first moved to London, going to some of the early salon events and thinking they were basically the coolest things in the world, which to be clear, they were. So yeah, it's really lovely to be doing this. The Butchers is set in the Irish borderlands in 1996, And it centres around a group of eight men who spend their days travelling throughout the country, enacting a form of ritual cattle slaughter, according to an ancient Irish superstition. However, rather than focus on the butchers themselves, the novel is more interested in the people they leave behind. So we follow Graw, one of the butchers' wives, who is sick of being abandoned for months on end and thus finds herself embarking on a passionate affair. We also follow her daughter, Una, who was bullied in school because of her family's superstitious beliefs, but who desperately wants to become a butcher herself, despite the fact that the group has never actually had any female members. The novel traces these intertwining lives over the course of a single year. It also opens with one of the butchers dead and hanging by his feet from a meat hook, so it's a bit of a murder mystery too. It's a novel about folklore and feminism and finding your way in a changing world. And I really hope you enjoy it. So here's a short extract from the very start of the book. I'm going to read the prologue, which is from the point of view of a character called Ronan. And then I'm going to read a bit of chapter one, which is from Una's point of view, as her father sets off on his travels for the year. Prologue. New York, January 2018. Ronan. Even now, 22 years since he took the photograph, he still cannot quite believe the lack of blood. The cold store is in a big room, maybe 20 by 20 at a push, the wall tiles riddled with cracks and greenish buds of mould. Below, the floor is a dismal skim of concrete. Above, the bulbs glare as a merciless white. 
and in between the metal brackets traversed the ceiling, the meat hooks laned empty in their rows. The lack of windows means it is impossible to tell whether it is night or day outside. It also means the walls are bare, save where a portrait of the Virgin Mary has inexplicably been nailed. And apart from our Blessed Mother, there is only one other person in that dilapidated room. There is a man hanging from the ceiling, upside down. The butcher is still fully clothed, minus his socks and boots. His overalls are fastened. His pale shirt is neatly tucked. Only the wounds confirm the worst, that he isn't just unconscious, isn't just sleeping the wrong way up like a bat. Only the holes in the bridge of his feet where the rusty hook has been pierced through, taking the weight of his body and holding it aloft. Leaving aside the wounds, there is something almost languid to the flow of the butcher's limbs. The flesh has been drained of any trace of violence, any trace of how he possibly found himself up there. And the eyes betray no pain as they stare out from beyond death towards the cold-stored doorway where they meet the blinding flash of the camera. Jesus Christ. Ronan steps back from the photograph and trips on a roll of bubble wrap by his feet. Usually his apartment is pristine. Today it is a chaos of boxes and gaffer tape. He glances at the clock on the wall. The delivery men will be arriving any minute. He is leaving this one unwrapped until the last possible moment. Two decades on, there is still no denying the impact the butcher has on him. He has started to accept that maybe he will never produce a finer shot. Then maybe, despite the awards and the international shows, his peak was right back at the very beginning, when he was only a young Egypt wandering the Irish borderlands with a second-hand cannon and a baggie full of pills, a determination to find the perfect image that would get his career off the ground at last. So he supposes it is ego, more than anything, that has finally persuaded him to put this photo on public display. It is good, very good. It deserves to be seen. In the past, he always concluded, reluctantly, that showing it just wasn't worth the hassle. There had been rumours around the body, suspicious circumstances and all that, which meant the image would have been treated more like a piece of evidence than a piece of art. But by now, the dust has long settled. No one even mentions it anymore, the ancient group they called the Butchers. Especially not over here in some small museum on the outskirts of Manhattan where every curator looks about half his age and every photograph is accompanied by a brief wall text that reduces the image to its biographical minimum. The Butcher by Ronan Monks, County Monaghan, 1996. The man in the photograph is thought to have belonged to a group of ritual cattle slaughterers known as the Butchers. Composed of eight men, the group travelled the length and breadth of Ireland practising their folkloric customs. However, around the time of the photograph, the butchers disbanded after hundreds of years of service. Today, very little record remains of their ancient, unorthodox traditions. The buzzer sounds and Ronan startles. He presses the button by the intercom, then hears the delivery men coming up the stairs, their hardy footsteps and easy drawl. It won't take them long to move the pictures. The museum is only a 20-minute drive across the river. Some of them will probably be half Irish, just like him. All of them will probably expect a tip. But for these final moments, the only man that matters is the one in the photograph, his shadow pooled black, 
his toenails curved white in ten tiny crescent moons. Ronan slides the metal chain and undoes the latch. This could be a mistake, he thinks. Could mean giving up a secret, buried safe for twenty-two years. Jesus Christ. He turns the handle and the light comes blinding in. Chapter 1. County Cabin, 1996. Una. The dawn was barely cracked when the time came for departure. Her father would walk to a crossroads about a mile down the road where the others would be waiting with the horses and carts. Sometimes her mum, for a mess, suggested the butchers should drive, should invest in a minivan. They say Ireland's getting more modern by the day. Why not keep up with the times? Una knew better than to laugh at that joke. Nothing about the old ritual was allowed to change. Her mother hovered next to her now on the front step, the pair of them sheathed in their dressing gown furs. The air outside was well below freezing, making white of their goodbye breaths. You're a gorgeous girl, her father croaked as he leaned down for a kiss. It took all her strength not to beg him to stay. The butcher embraced his wife one last time and then ambled slowly out the gate. He looked so giant as he moved, big enough to be a myth himself. The fields around were raw with silence, the hillside stony pocked and sparse. It was a wonder anything would ever grow again. And Una was so distracted, she almost forgot. Love, your shoe. But as soon as her mother spoke, she took her slipper from her foot and flung it hard, watched it arc through the air and then land in the shimmering frost. It was another custom, meant to wish him luck on his travels. Her father didn't turn, only removed his hand from the pocket of his overalls and raised it high in acknowledgement. Una stayed out on the doorstep watching, her left foot slowly growing numb, until she saw the man-shaped blacken, then shrink, and then disappear. Eventually her white breath faded too as the moon bowed out and the sun arrived instead, hurling itself cold and radiant into the morning sky. The following week, it was time to say goodbye to the Christmas holidays too, which meant that Una was back to school. She wandered through the corridors, yanking down the jumper that kept rising up over her midriff. She was going to need a new one soon. Though really, it was a waste of money because the uniform didn't even serve its purpose. She still stood out a mile. The weirdo, the first-year freak, the butcher's daughter. Sometimes it was just funny looks she got, whispers wafting up through the class like a bad smell. Other times, the girls would scream when she brushed against them, claiming that she had cursed them under her breath. Once, the boys had circled around her, pawing at the tarmac with their shoes, their fingers placed like horns on the side of their heads. Mrs. Donahue had shown up just before they charged. At first, Una had been confused. Hadn't her father always told her how important the butchers were? How integral a role they played in Ireland's history? So if anything, when her parents decided to stop her homeschooling and send her to a real-life secondary school, she had thought her classmates would all be dying to be her friend, angling for invites to Sunday tea to taste her family's meat and hear her family's stories... But when the reality had set in, Una asked her mum why everyone seemed to hate her, and her mum could only garble some excuse about her being special. And special isn't always easy to understand, love, so instead people just push it away. 
Howdy, cowgirl, someone called now from the end of the corridor. What did Santa bring you for Christmas then? Ugh, she probably still believes in him too. Una turned from the laughter. She was used to it by now, didn't let it upset her. Instead, she distracted herself by trying to guess what her mum might have put in her lunchbox today. She hoped it was tomato and mustard sandwiches, her favourite kind. Sometimes the mustard was so spicy it hurt, and sometimes that was good. So thank you very much for listening, and again, just so chuffed to be here on the Damien Bar Literary Salon. Really hope you enjoyed it. Really hope you enjoyed The Butchers. And yeah, thanks again. Take care. I loved every moment of that. These readings are just a joy. A joy! So, The Butchers is published by Atlantic Books. If, like me, you were in love with this reading, there's never been a better time to support your local indie bookshop. So if you can get there and it is open, do go and support them um, by grabbing a copy of this book. Or you can get it from our shop on bookshop.org. Thanks for listening. Join us again soon.